Chapter Eleven of the Jungle Girl by Gordon Casserly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Tragedy. The annual Durber for the reception of the Bhutan envoy and the payment of the subsidy had come and gone again. The Deb Zimpun who had not been accompanied by the chinese amban on this occasion had departed and of the few european visitors only muriel benson remained colonel dermot had been called away to simba to confer with officials of the foreign department on matters of frontier policy major hunt was ill with fever leaving wargrave who was still nominally attached to the military police in command of the detachment. It was delicious torture to Frank to be in the same place again with Muriel, to see her from the parade ground or the mess veranda, playing in the garden with the children, to meet her every day and talk to her and yet be obliged to school his lips and keep them from uttering the words that trembled on them. A few nights after the Durber, he dined with Mrs. Dermot and Muriel and was sitting on the veranda of the political officer's house with them after dinner. He was wearing white mess uniform. The evening was warm and very still, and whenever the conversation died away, no sound save the monotonous note of the night jars or the sudden cry of a barking deer broke the silence since the echoes of the lights-out bugle call had died away among the hills. Wargrave looked at his watch. It's past eleven o'clock, he said. I'd no idea it was so late. I ought to get up and say good night, but I'm so comfortable here, Mrs. Dermot. His hostess smiled lazily at him, but made no reply. Again, a peaceful hush fell on them. With startling suddenness, it was broken. From the fort four hundred yards away, a rifle shot rang out, rending the silence of the night and reverberating among the hills around. Wargrave sprang to his feet as shouts followed and a bugle shrilled out the sound-gripping alarm, the call that sends a thrill through every soldier's frame, for always it tells of disaster. Heard thus at night in barracks, swift following on a shot, it spoke of crime, of murder, the black murder of a comrade. The two women had risen anxiously. What is it? Oh, what is it? they asked. The subaltern spoke lightly to reassure them. Nothing much, I expect. Some man on guard fooling with his rifle let it off by accident, he said quietly. Excuse me, I'd better stroll across to the fort and see. But Mrs. Dermot stopped him. Wait a moment, please, Mr. Wardgrave she said, running into the house. She returned immediately with her husband's big automatic pistol and handed it to him. In her left hand, she held a smaller one. Take this with you. It's loaded, she said. Frank thanked her, said good night to both calmly, and walked down the garden path but the anxious women heard him running swiftly across the parade ground. What is it, Noreen? What does it mean? asked the girl nervously. A sepoy running amok, I'm afraid, replied her friend. He shot someone. She swung round, pistol raised. Cohen, hi. Who's that? she called out. A man had come noiselessly on to the shadowed end of the veranda. It is I, Mem Sahib, answered Sher Afzul, her Punjabi Mohammedan butler. 
he had been in her service for five years and was devoted to her and hers he was carrying a rifle for his master at his request had long ago given him arms to protect his mem sahib before her marriage he had once fought almost to the death to defend her when her brother's bungalow had been attacked by rebels during a rising it would be well to go into the house and put out the lights maham sabib he said quietly in hindustani there is danger to-night as he spoke he extinguished the lamp on the veranda and closed the doors of the house a second armed servant came quietly on to the veranda and the butler melted into the darkness of the garden but they heard him go to the gate as if to guard it you had better go inside muriel said mrs dermot but made no move to do it herself the girl did not appear to hear her she was listening intently for any sound from the fort but silence had fallen on it muriel won't you go into the house repeated her hostess eh what no i couldn't i must stay here replied miss benson impatiently in the black darkness the other women could not see her but she felt the girl's every sense was alert and strained to the utmost she moved to her and put her arm about her against it she could feel muriel's heart beating violently suddenly from the fort came the noise of heavy blows and a crash instantly followed by a shot and then fierce cries oh my god what is happening murmured the girl her hand on her heart presently there came the sound of running feet and heavy boots clattered up the rocky road towards the mess past the gate then the butler's voice rang out in challenge kong jatha who goes there a panting voice answered wargrave sahib murga dr sahib koblana kojaka wargrave sahib is killed i go to call the doctor sahib and the sepoy ran on in the darkness oh god oh god cried the girl and tried to break from her friend's clasp let me go let me go where to asked noreen holding the frenzied girl with all her strength to him he's dead didn't you hear he's dead i must go to him she struggled madly and beat fiercely at the hands that held her let me go let me go oh he's dead she wailed dead and i loved him so oh be merciful let me go to him and suddenly her strength gave way and she clasped into noreen's arms weeping bitterly they heard the clattering steps meet others coming down the hill and a hurried conversation ensued noreen recognized one of the voices then both men came running down it's the doctor said mrs dermot come to the gate and we'll ask him what has happened mr macdonald mr macdonald she cried as the hurrying footsteps grew near who's that mrs dermot for god's sake get into the house there's a man running amuck wargrave's killed i'm wanted and the doctor taking no thought of danger to himself when there was need of his skill ran on into the darkness i must i will go cried muriel very well perhaps it's not true we must know we may be able to help replied her friend and with a word to share a soul to guard her babies from danger she seized muriel's hand and the two girls ran towards the fort in the track that wargrave had followed to his death 
it seemed. Pistol in hand, Wargrave had raced across the parade ground. At the gate of the fort he was challenged, and when he answered an Indian officer came out of the darkness to him. Sahib, he said hurriedly, Havadar Mohammed Ashraf Khan has been shot in his bed in barracks. The sentry over the magazine is missing with his rifle. Wargrave entered the fort. Opposite the guard room, the detachment was falling in rapidly, the men carrying their rifles and running up from their barrack rooms in various stages of undress. By the flickering light of a lantern held up for him, a non-commissioned officer was calling the roll, and his voice rumbled along in monotonous tones. The guard was standing under arms. Put out that lamp, cried the subaltern sharply. It would only serve to light up other marks for the invisible assassin if, like most men who run amok, he meant to keep on killing until slain himself. No, take it into the guard room and shut the door. In the darkness, the silence was intense, broken only by the heavy breathing of the unseen men and the clattering of the feet of some latecomer. Suddenly, there rang out through the night the most appalling sound that had ever assailed Wargrave's ears. It was as the cry of a lost soul in all the agony of the damned, an eerie, unearthly wail that froze the blood in the listener's veins. In the invisible ranks, men shuddered and clutched at their neighbors. Kuda ki nam nen In the name of God, what is that? gasped the subaltern. The Indian officer at his side answered in a low voice. It is Ashraf Khan crying out in pain, Sahib. He is not yet dead. Subheader Sahib, come with me, said Wargrave. Let your Jemdar, lieutenant, take the men one by one into the guard room and examine the rifles to see if any have been fired. We don't know yet if the missing sentry did the deed. The subheader, company commander, gave the order to his subordinate and followed Wargrave to the barrack room in which the crime had been committed. The sight that met the subaltern's eyes was one that he was not easily to forget. The high roof chamber was in darkness, save at one end where a small lamp cast weird shadows on the walls and vaulted ceiling. At this end, under the flickering light, a group of figures stood round a bed on which a man was writhing in agony. He was struggling in delirious frenzy to hurl himself to the stone floor and was only held down by the united efforts of three men. From a bullet wound in his bare chest, the lifeblood welled with every movement of his tortured body. He had been shot in the back as he lay asleep. The lips covered with a bloody froth were drawn back tightly over the white teeth clenched in agony and red foam lay on the black beard. Out of the sweat-bathed, ghastly face, the eyes glared in frenzy. The features were contorted with pain. Again and again the wild shrieks, like the howl of a mad thing, rang through the long room and out into the night. With tear-filled eyes and Heart torn with pity, Wargrave looked down at him in silence. Ashraf Khan was one of his best men. But where is the doctor, Sahib? he asked the native officer suddenly. The subheader stared and shook his head. 
in the excitement no one had thought of sending for the medical officer wargrave turned to one of the men around the bed mahub khan run hard to the mess and call the doctor sahib here stop he remembered that macdonald did not possess a revolver for all one knew he might encounter the murderer on his way wargrave thrust mrs dermot's pistol into the sepoy's hand saying give the sahib that the man who was barefoot ran out of the chamber and went to his own barrack room for his shoes for the road was rocky and covered with sharp stones the subaltern turned away with a sigh from the bedside of his poor comrade he could do nothing now but avenge him as he walked away from the group he trod on an empty cartridge case and picked it up it had recently been fired it told its tale for it showed that the assassin had reloaded over his victim and intended that the killing should not end there if he were the missing sentry then he had nine more cartridges left nine human lives in the blood-stained hand and as the subaltern crossed the veranda outside the barrack room the jamander met him and reported that all the rifles of the detachment had been examined and found clean except the missing weapon of the sentry a young pathan sepoy called gul mohammed it was remembered that the dying havadar sergeant had reprimanded him hotly on the previous day for appearing on parade with accoutrements dirty so little a cause was needed to send a man to his death the first thing to be done now was to hunt for the murderer while he went free no one's life was safe wargrave shuddered at the thought of danger coming to muriel or her friend and he hoped that they were safely shut in their house it was a difficult problem to know where to begin the search the fort was full of hiding places especially at night and already the assassin might have escaped over the low walls surrounding it as wargrave stood perplexed another indian officer ran up accompanied by two men with rifles sahib sahib he whispered excitedly the murderer is in my room the one next that in which ashra khan was shot i left the door wide open when i ran out it is now shut and bolted from the inside and someone is moving about in it the subaltern went along the veranda to the door and tried it it was firmly fastened here sahib cried a sepoy who ran up with a comrade carrying a heavy log shabash well done break in the door said wargrave other men who had come up seized the long log and dashed it violently against the door the bolt held but the frail hinges gave way and the door fell in stand back cried wargrave it seemed certain death to enter the room in which a murderer lurked in darkness armed with a rifle and fixed bayonet and resolved to sell his life dearly but the subaltern did not hesitate he was the only sahib there and of course it was his duty to go in he could not ask his men to risk a danger that he shirked himself that is not the officer's way whose model must ever be follow where i lead wargrave sprang into the room unarmed he was outlined against the faint light outside a spurt of flame lit the darkness and the subaltern 
as he tripped over the raised threshold felt that he was shot he staggered on a rifle lunged forward and the bayonet stabbed him in the side but with a desperate effort he closed with his unseen assailant and grappled fiercely with him struggling to overpower the assassin before his ebbing strength left him he fought madly the indian officers and sepoys blocking up the doorway could see nothing but they could hear the choking gas the panting breaths the muttered curses and the stamping feet of the combatants locked in the death grapple they could not interfere they dared not fire in impotent fury they shouted bring lamps bring lamps then groaning in their powerlessness to aid their beloved officer they listened as a light danced over the stones from a lantern in the hand of a running sepoy the moment it came and lit up the scene they rushed on the murderer wrestling fiercely with wardrave and dragged him off as the subaltern collapsed and fell to the ground the glare of the lantern shone on his white face the sahabib is dead cried a sepoy and sprang at the murderer who was struggling in the grip of the two powerfully built indian officers others followed him and his captors had to fight hard and use all their authority to keep the prisoner from being killed by their bare hands of his maddened comrades only the arrival of the armed men of the guard saved him frenzied with grief the sepoys bent over their officer lying motionless and apparently dead on the stone floor they loved him many of them wept openly and unashamed the subheader knelt beside him and opened his shirt the blood had soaked through the white mess jacket that wargrave wore the native officer looked up into the ring of brown faces bent over him suddenly he cried angrily mahbub khan why hast thou not gone for the doctor sahib as thou wert told o son of an owl the face staring in horror between the heads of the sepoys was hurriedly withdrawn and mahbub khan who had lingered to see the end of the tragedy turned and pushed his way out of the crowd macdonald found the subaltern lying to all appearances dead on the broken door out in the open where they had gently carried him hold a light here he cried as he knelt down beside the body by now a dozen lanterns or more lit up the scene the doctor laid his ear against wargrave's chest and held a polished cigarette case to his lips then he pulled back the shirt to examine his injuries oh is he dead is he dead cried a trembling voice the doctor looking up angrily found miss benson and mrs dermot standing over him the sepoys had silently made way for them you shouldn't be here ladies he said with justifiable annoyance this is no place for you no he's not dead and i hope and think that he won't die oh thank god cried the two women the sepoys crowding round and hanging on the doctor's verdict could not understand the words but saw the look of joyous relief on their faces and guessed the truth a wild confused cheer went up to the stars mr macdonald said mrs dermot bending over him again will you bring him to my house there is no accommodation for him in your little hospital you know 
and he'd have no one to look after him in the mess i can nurse him the doctor straightened himself on his knee and looked down at the unconscious man yes mrs dermot it is a good idea he replied there is nowhere else where he'd get any tension my hands are full with major hunt he's taken a turn for the worse his temperature went up dangerously high tonight and he was almost delirious he stood up i can't examine wargrave properly here he seems to be wounded in two places but i hope it's not i mean i think he'll pull through his pulse is getting stronger i've put a first dressing on and i think we can move him hi stretcher eat her low bring the stretcher here suddenly wargrave opened his eyes and looked up in the doctor's face is that you macdonald he asked dreamily never mind me i'm all right go to poor ashcroft can if he must die at least give him something to put out of his misery i can wait his voice trailed off and he relapsed into unconsciousness ordering him to be carried away the doctor after a word with the indian officers entered the barrack room it was useless ashraf khan had just died the crowd fell back in a wide circle to let the two hospital orderlies bring up the stretcher for ward grave and as they did left a group of men standing isolated in the center all of these were armed except one whose hands were pinioned behind his back his head was bare his face bruised and bleeding and his uniform nearly torn off his body it needed no telling that he was the murderer miss benson walked up to him with fierce eyes you dog she cried bitterly in your due the man who had smiled defiantly when the hands of his raging comrades were seeking to tear the life out of his body and had shouted out his crime in their faces cowered before the anger in the flaming eyes of this frail girl he shrank back between his guards the sepoys looking on howled like hungry wolves and as mrs dermot drew the girl back made a rush for the murderer the men of the guard faced them with leveled bayonets and ringed their prisoner round and the sepoys fell back sullenly suddenly a shrill voice cried in hindu standy make way make way there what has happened the circle of men gaped and through the opening came major hunt white-faced wasted shaking with fever and clad only in pajamas and a great coat and with bare feet thrust into unlaced shoes he staggered feebly in among them revolver in hand heaven and earth is wargrave dead he cried and tottered towards the stretcher suddenly the pistol dropped from his shaking hand and he fell forward on the stones before macdonald could catch him this is madness muttered the doctor it may kill him i hoped he wouldn't hear the alarm bring him to my house too said mrs dermot another stretcher was fetched the major lifted tenderly into it and the sad procession started the sepoys falling back silently to make way major hunt having been put to bed in one of the guest rooms of the political officer's house macdonald with the aid of the subaltern servant undressed wargrave and examined his injuries 
Noreen holding a basin for him while Muriel, shuddering, carried away the blood-tinged water and brought fresh. The shot room, though severe, was not necessarily dangerous, and the bullet had not lodged in him. The doctor was relieved to find that the bayonet had not penetrated deeply, but it only glanced along a rib, tearing the intercostal muscles and inflicting a long, jagged, but superficial wound, which bled freely. Indeed, the most serious matter was the great loss of blood, which had weakened the subaltern considerably. Wargrave did not recover consciousness until early morning. When he opened his eyes, they fell on Muriel sitting by his bed. He showed no surprise, and the girl, scarce daring to believe that he was awake and knew her, did not venture to move. But as he continued to look steadily at her, she gently laid her hand on his where it lay on the coverlet. Then, in a weak voice, he said, Dearest, I mustn't love you. I mustn't. I'm bound in honor, bound to another woman, and I must play the game. It's hard sometimes, but if I die, I want you to know I loved you, only you. Her heart seemed to stop suddenly, then beat again with redoubled force. Was he conscious? Was he speaking to her? Did he know what his words meant? She waited eagerly for him to continue, but his hand closed on hers in a weak grip, and shutting his eyes, he seemed to sleep. The girl sank on her knees beside the bed and stared at the pale face that in those few words recurred to her and a sharp pain pierced her heart. There was another woman then, one who held his promise. Who was she? He could not be secretly married. Surely no. It must be that he was engaged to some other girl. But he loved her. Muriel. He wanted to say so. He had said so. Though he strove to hold back, in honor bound, he would play the game. Ah, that he would do at any cost to himself, for she knew his chivalrous nature. But he loved her. She was sure of it. Then the doubts came again. Did he know what he was saying? Was it perhaps only delirium that spoke? the fever of his wounds. The girl suffered an agony worse than death as she knelt beside the bed, her forehead on his hand, and Noreen, entering softly an hour later, found her still crouched there, weeping bitterly but silently. Shortly after sunrise, MacDonald entered the house, wan and haggard, for he had not been to bed at all. Besides the hours that he had spent with his patients, he had been busy in the fort all night. He had to make an autopsy of the dead man, and, as the only officer available, investigate the crime, examine the witnesses, and the prisoner, who calmly confessed his guilt and telegraph the news of the occurrence to regimental, divisional, and army headquarters. He found Major Hunt sleeping peacefully, but Wargrave woke as he tiptoed into the room and looked up at him, at first not seeing the woman. He was fully conscious and asked eagerly for an account of what had happened. Noreen and Muriel shuddered at the delight with which he heard the murderer's capture, for they were too tender-hearted to understand his passionate desire to avenge 
the cruel slaying of one of his men when he turned away from macdonald he saw muriel his eyes shone eagerly for a moment then seemed to dull as memory returned to him he begged mrs dermot to forgive him for upsetting her domestic arrangements by his intrusion into the house later in the morning noreen was sitting alone with him having sent muriel to lie down for a couple of hours she had not been to bed herself but after a bath and a change of clothing had given her children their breakfast and bidden them to make no noise because their beloved Fwanky was lying ill in the house yet she could not forbear to smile when she saw the portentous gravity with which eileen tiptoed out into the garden to tell badshaw the news and order him to be very quiet now looking fresh and bright she sat beside wardgrave's bed since the doctor had left him he had lain thinking he felt that violet must be informed at once that he had been hurt but was in no danger lest she might learn of the occurrence through another source and believe him to be worse than he really was as he looked at mrs dermot the desire to ask her instead of macdonald if she would be the one to communicate with mrs norton drew overwhelming and he felt that he wanted to confide to her the whole story sure that she would understand and she would tell muriel for she had been quite conscious when she had spoken to the girl in the morning it was only right after that she should know the truth but he shrank from telling it to her himself so he opened his heart to noreen and the understanding little woman listened sympathizingly and made no comment and undertook to explain the situation to muriel so an hour or two later when macdonald was again with the subaltern she went to her friend's room and told her the whole story the girl's first feeling was anger at the thought of frank making love to a married woman seems to me it's a married woman who made it to him from what i can gather said noreen a little annoyed with muriel for her way of receiving the story he did not say so but it was easy to guess the truth now my dear don't be absurd men are not angels and if a pretty woman flings herself at the head of one of them it's hard for him to keep her at arm's length and you've seen yourself in darjeeling how some of them the married ones especially do chase them her eyes grew hard as she continued i remember how kevin once was then she stopped but frank how could he how oh how could he and he loved her sobbed the girl don't be silly muriel i'll tell you i don't believe he ever did he loves you now oh do you think he does what am i to do nothing merely go along as you've been doing just be friendly and don't be hard on him he's had a bad time i've always felt that there was something troubling him now i know and i'm not going to let him ruin himself and throw away his happiness for a woman who's not worth it he's the nicest cleanest minded man i've known after kevin and my brother he saved my babies and for that i'd do anything for him 
I feel almost as if he were one of my children, and I'll stand by him if you won't. Oh, but I will, I will, cried the girl. But how can I help him? As I said, by acting as if nothing had happened, and just keep on being friends. It oughtn't to be hard. See how he's suffering and think how brave he's been. Remember, he loves you and you do care for him, don't you? I've an idea that he hopes that this woman is tiring of him and may set him free. Of course he didn't say as much, but she nodded sagely. Her intuition had told her more of his feelings in a minute than Frank had dared to acknowledge to himself in many months. Anything I can do to help to bring that about, I will. The days went by, and Wargrave, aided by his clean living, the devoted nursing that he received, and the cool, healthy mountain air, began to mend. Major Hunt had recovered and returned to duty, relieving the officer sent from headquarters to command during his illness. Colonel Dermot had come back from Simba with Frank's appointment to the political department as his assistant in his pocket. The murdered man had long ago been laid to rest by his comrades, but his slayer still sat fettered in the one cell of the fort awaiting of the great court-martial for his trial and seeing from his barred window the even routine of the life that had been his for three years still going on but with no place in it for him the period of Wargrave's convalescence was a very happy time for him. Muriel had remained a whole month after the eventful night. For Mrs. Dermot declared that, with the care of her house and children, she had no time to nurse the subaltern, and the girl must stay to do it while he was in any danger so she lingered in the station to do him willing service wait on him chat or read to him give him her arm when he was first allowed to leave his room and did it all with the bright cheerful kindness of a friend no more she never alluded to his words to her but her patient somehow guess that she had not been angered by the revelation of the state of his feelings toward her and from the tenderness of her manner to him the unconscious jealousy that she displayed if anyone but she did any service for him he began to half hope half fear that she cared a little for him in return. But even as he thought this, he realized that he must not allow her to do so. At last the time came when she had to return to her father down in the vast forest, and bravely she said goodbye to everyone, and most of all to Frank, the tears blinded her as she sat on the back of the elephant that bore her away and saw the hills close in and shut from her gaze the little station that held her heart. Wargrave, however, was not left to pine in loneliness after her departure. All day long, as they were allowed, the children stayed with him, Eileen smothering him with her caresses at regular intervals. They told him their doings, confided their dearest secrets to him, and demanded stories. And Frankie 
racked his brains to recall the fairy tales of his own childhood to repeat to the golden-haired mites perched on his bed and gazing at him in awed fascination the girl uttering little shrieks at the harrowing details of the wicked deeds of giant blunder bore and the cruel deceit of the wolf that devoured red riding hood but the subaltern had a grimmer visitor one day the orders came at last for gul mohammed to be sent to calcutta to stand his trial without waiting for wargrave's recovery the latter's evidence being taken on commission the prisoner begged that he might be allowed to see the wounded officer before he left and frank having consented he was brought to the subaltern's bedroom when he was marched out of the fort on the first stage of his journey to the gallows it was a dramatic scene the stalwart young pathan in uniform with his wrists handcuffed stood with all the bold bearing of his race by the bedside of the man that he had tried to kill while two powerful sepoys armed with drawn bayonets hemmed him in their hands on his shoulders the prisoner looked for a moment at the pale face of the wounded man then his bold eyes suffused with tears as he said huzor the presence i am sorry had i known that night it was your honor i would not have lifted my rifle against you the sahib has always been good to me to all of us my enemy i slew as we of the Putana must do to all who insult us that deed i do not regret wargrave looked up sorrowfully at the splendidly built young fellow barely twenty-one who had only done as he had been taught to do from his cradle among pathans blood only can wash away the stain of an insult the officer felt no anger against him for his own injuries and regretted that false notions of honor had led him to kill a comrade and were now sending him to a shameful death i am sorry gul mohammed very sorry he said you were always a good soldier and now you must die the pathan drew himself up with all the haughty pride of his race i do not fear death sahib they will give me the noose but my father can spare me he has five other sons to fight for him if only sahib would forgive wargrave much moved held out his hand to him the prisoner touched it with his manacled ones then raised his fingers to his forehead for your kindness sahib salam then he turned and walked proudly out of the room and wargrave heard the tramp of heavy feet on the rocky road outside as the prisoner was marched away on the long trail to the gallows two months later gul mohammed was hanged in the courtyard of alipur jail in Kakata before detachments of all the regiments garrisoning the city the subaltern had long shaft at the restraint of an invalid before macdonald took him off the sick list and he was free to wander again with colonel dermot in the forest and among the mountains before the hot weather ended raymond came to spend three weeks with him and be initiated into the delights of sport in the great jungle when the long imprisonment of the rains came wargrave began to suffer in health 
for his wounds had sapped his strength more than he knew and macdonald shook his head over him nor was he the only invalid for little brian grew pale and listless in the mists that enveloped the outpost constantly now until finally the doctor decreed that his mother much as she hated parting from her husband and her home must take the children to darjeeling and he ordered the subaltern to go too frank did not repine after mrs dermot had casually intimated that muriel benson was arranging to join her at the railway station and accompany her on a long visit to darjeeling it was wardgrave's first introduction to a hill station and everything was a delightful novelty to him from the quaint little train that brought them up the seven thousand feet to their destination in the pretty town of villas clubs and hotels in the mountains to the glorious panorama of the eternal snows and kitchkinjunga's lofty crests that rise like fairyland into the sky at early dawn and under the brilliant indian moon as mrs dermot could not often leave her children it was muriel who knew darjeeling well who became his guide together every day they set out from their hotel together they scaled the heights of jalapar or rode down to watch the polo on the flat hilltop of Libong, a thousand feet below together they explored the fascinating bazaar and bought ghost daggers and turquoises in the quaint little shops together they went on picnics down into the deep valleys on the way to sikkim they played tennis ranked or danced together at the amusement club and the ladies at the tea tables in the great lounge smiled significantly and whispered to each other as the good-looking fair man and the pretty dark-haired girl came in together when the light was fading on the mountains frank forgot cares he ceased to brood unhappily for it had come to that on violet who as her rare letters told him had spent the hot weather in the bombay hill station of mahabalehwar and was now enjoying life during the rains in gay Pune. she seldom wrote and then but scrappily and it seemed to him certain that she was forgetting him and he felt ashamed as the joy which filled him at the thought was he always destined to be only the friend of this girl he loved the lover of a woman to whom he wished to be a friend end of chapter eleven